Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about wild crafting and how to do it with respect and sustainability in mind. And I'm also going to highlight a few of my favorite herbs that I like to wildcraft or wild harvest or forage, in other words. Before we get started, I want you to know that I am not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Reach out and tell me what you want to know or ask me a question about herbs and or health by sending me an email to healthyherbpodcast at gmail. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. I'd like to talk a bit more about wildcrafting this week. Last week, I discussed things that you want to know about the plant and plant population that you plan to wild harvest. Today, I'd like to touch on a few other important considerations when foraging medicinal plants. I personally prefer to harvest weeds that grow in areas that have been disturbed by humans instead of woodland plants that grow in areas that are separate from where humans live. And there are a few reasons for this. Woodland medicinal plants, other than the trees themselves, tend to be very slow-growing perennials that do not reproduce readily. An example of this, or a few examples of this, are American ginseng, black cohosh, golden seal, and Solomon seal. And these are all herbs that have been historically used um, quite a bit for medicinal preparations, and still today are used quite a bit for medicinal preparations. And it's the roots of these slow-growing perennials that are harvested. And usually it's the roots of uh, older plants that are harvested. And once that root is harvested, the plant is killed and the populations begin to dwindle, especially when they are over-harvested. The other type of plants that are medicinal that tend to grow in woodland areas. Um, can They can be very small plants and that would need to be harvested in very large quantity to actually make um, uh, herbal remedies with. Plants like the one that pops to my mind is gold thread, otherwise uh, botanical name coptis. 
And this is a very small plant that grows along the ground. It's beautiful, beautiful plant. Um, and it has very thin thread-like roots that are golden, hence the name gold thread. And it's the roots that are harvested. Um, and both gold thread and golden seal offer similar constituent, uh, which is berberine, which is known as an antimicrobial and astringent, which makes them especially helpful for fighting infections in the gut. However, I think that there are um, a variety of herbs that could be useful for that purpose as well. And there are also herbs that other herbs that contain berberine in them that we don't have to uh, decimate plant populations to access. The, there have been efforts to repopulate forests with these plants um, and also to grow them on farms to then harvest them for medicine, which is a great way to protect the wild populations, though growing them in a farm setting can be difficult. Um, and may not necessarily be economically viable for the farms. So we can compare the golden seal and the gold thread to uh, barberry. And barberry is a shrub that is invasive. It's one of these plants that people tend to love to hate, although it, it is also a landscape plant, although I think it might not be even legal to sell in plant nurseries anymore because it's become so invasive. So it's a shrub that is originally from Japan, I believe. It's called Japanese barberry. Uh, Berberus, I believe, is the botanical name. And it also has this berberine in it. And you can see that in the yellow the bright yellow color of the root and also the whole woody parts of the shrub. So all of the branching stems and the base of the plant as well. And this is a shrub that can grow to be quite large and is spreads seeds very easily because it has these berries that birds love to eat and then um, spread their seeds around. So I would much prefer seeing this plant be utilized and appreciated um, instead of, you know, continuing to harvest these, these threatened and very hard to s sustainably harvest plants. Many people would even likely pay you to come to their property to remove the barberry shrubs. I know that the land that I live on um, we have been slowly working on clearing out some barberry from the property because it's it, it, it just has taken over. And originally the barberry was introduced to uh, North America as erosion control. So it because it grows so quickly and its roots are very strong and very hard, very tenacious and very hard to eradicate. So this plant, it would be very easy to sustainably harvest, and it would be very easy to find, usually, and to access and to harvest, although it does have barbs or thorns on it, so that, and again, it could be hard to actually dig, but overall, it's 
it's a very accessible plant. So I think that to, as an easy way to sustainably wild harvest or forage medicinal plants, we need to look to plants that are weedy, like the barberry, and actually a vast number of other beneficial medicinal plants. There are many of them that like to grow around humans and that actually prefer hard-packed soil or recently cleared forests fallow farm fields, gardens, active farm fields, roadsides, uh, yards, and land that has recently been excavated or tilled. Also, you'll find these plants growing along paths where humans walk, and they tend to like also edges of different microecosystems. So maybe where a field a fallow field would meet a hedgerow would meet, which would then slowly blend into a woodland. And so between that field and the hedgerow, but before the woodland is going to be a vast array of medicinal weeds. These weeds tend to be tenacious and tough and fast growing and really able to spread their seed. They can be perennial, they can be biennial, and they could be annual. They often will have uh, very deep roots that dig down into compacted soil or even nutrient bare soil, and they'll dig deep down to mine the minerals from the depths of the ground and bring them up through their roots and into their aerial parts and then when they go to sleep for the winter their aerial parts will decompose on the top of the surface releasing those minerals back and building the soil quality also some of these plants they might not even have deep roots but they are roots that tend to search out uh, minerals and beneficial nutrients for us or they'll have roots that'll kind of spread through the top of the soil. I'm thinking of, you know, yarrow or goldenrod that can kind of even just break up the surface soil and help to create healthy root mats that would that provide uh, good support for mycelium and microbes in the soil. Okay, so that's one of the first main considerations that I think is really important. We are going to harvest plants that like to grow around humans, that are weedy, that we don't really have to worry about over-harvesting, and that can still provide so many health benefits. And we're going to leave the plants in the woodlands and the wetlands and the hard-to-reach areas alone as much as possible. Another consideration that is important to take when we go foraging for medicinal plants is that we only harvest what we need and what we have time to prepare and to use in that moment. So when we plan for harvesting, it's important to include the time that's going to take to prep the harvest after it's harvested, whether It's going to be cleaning roots and chopping them up and making herbal preparations with them or cutting them and laying them out to dry. Um, 
or if it's going to be hanging an herb to dry, or if it's going to be actually creating a remedy like a tincture um, or an infused vinegar. You know, these things, this time period needs to be taken into consideration because if you go out and wild harvest a bunch of plant material and you come home and then you have to move on to the next part of your day and you have fresh plant material sitting in the corner of your house waiting to be prepared, it's, it's going to lose its quality very rapidly and could even rot if it's not properly you know, laid out or hung to dry. It's also important that when we harvest a plant that we are aware of the health of that plant's population and that we don't over-harvest the plant and that we leave enough for future generations so that, that there will be plenty for the plant to regrow or to set a bunch of seed or um, pieces of root in the soil that will regrow plant new plants. So this takes understanding your plant and understanding the plant's population, which I do talk more about in last week's podcast. And then finally, and maybe even most importantly, um, when we harvest wild plants, it is important that we approach the plants with humility, that we acknowledge that the plants are our ancestors and that they are our everything. They are the air that we breathe, they produce. The houses that we live in are made from their bodies. The clothes that we wear are an offering from them. The food that nourishes us is often plant food. And the medicine that heals us can be these beautiful medicinal plants. And also the beauty that we seek in gardens that we tend and in flower bouquets that we send to our friends and loved ones. I have been taught that it is important to honor the plants when we harvest from them. And I feel that that this is not a, a new concept. Obviously, this is discussed a lot and that people do acknowledge this and honor them. And oftentimes foragers will think to leave a token of appreciation to the plant community or to the plant that they have harvested from. And I've heard many people say that they'll leave, you know, an offering of either hair or some cornmeal or tobacco. But for me, that is, seems, tends to be out of a cultural, out of cultural context, because it's often, you know, white people who are not of native descent that I hear discussing this ritual act though I believe this practice is actually appropriated and likely distorted from the original rituals that the indigenous people um, of this land do and did historically. So me, when I am speaking, speaking as a white girl with immigrant ancestors and people like me, we need to be careful here. I believe that it's really easy to 
you know, become appropriative in our rituals and to not really fully understand the implications or, you know, what the original intention is in these acts. And so I, you know, implore people to take a step back and really think about what it is that they're doing when they make these offerings and what the purpose is and what they're really, what the benefit would be to the plant in doing this. And is there actually a benefit when it's an appropriated ritual? I cannot speak to the actual, you know, native culture, but for me, um, once we, we have to be careful in today's current cultural mindset, um, that when we leave a gift or an offering in trade for a part of a plant's body, it's, it is that we have now paid the plant. And this is not in sync with the act of honoring and approaching the plant with complete humility. Because once we pay a plant, then we own it in our mindset, in our cultural mindset. I'm not saying that we actually own these plants. I'm trying to say the opposite of that. And I hope I'm getting that point across. But um, that when we when we think that we are paying for a plant and that we are now owning it, even if we aren't doing that consciously, but subconsciously, it's the paradigm that our consumer culture exists in that we can then do whatever we want with that plant, or we can harvest as much of it as we want, or, um, you know, it's, it now becomes a different relationship. It becomes one of ownership or enslavement versus one of respect and humility. And when, when we do this, it releases us from the deeper responsibility that we have to that plant. And the reality, the absolute reality is that there's nothing that we can offer these plants that equals to them what they offer us. You know, they, the plants were here before us and they surely will be here after us. And it is with deep respect and understanding that we must approach these plants and bow down to them and know that we are not their equals and that we are completely dependent on them for life and health and that they are not dependent on us. Now that being said, we can still approach the plants and offer them gifts of gratitude and of friendship and of reverence. And we may also be able to observe the plant and see if there's anything that we can do for them how we may tend to them. Can we help to promote their population, perhaps by spreading their seed or planting some root pieces? Can we provide them with a bit of water or some nutrient-rich compost? Is that something that the plant would want? Or maybe it's not. 
not every plant is going to want nutrient-rich compost and not every plant is going to want an abundance of water. But as you get to know the plants through your reverence, you can deeply observe them and, and get to know what you could do, what you could offer them, how you could help them, if there is something that you could do. And that would depend on the exact plant and the exact situation in that exact moment. My favorite wild plants to harvest include dandelion, plantain, which is not the banana, but the plantago, which is a just a small, low-growing plant that grows everywhere where humans are, yarrow, self-heal, also known as prunella vulgaris, burdock, nettle, stinging nettle, that is, Hypericum, also commonly known as St. John's wort. Mullen and yellow dock, to name a few. And so these are, this list of plants, um, I'll, I'll, I will be getting into them, into each of these plants as we go through the weeks with this podcast. But it's, it's a nice list to at least be aware that these plants are super beneficial. They're really helpful to have in your home apoth- apothecary, and they likely, at least one, if not all of them, likely grow right outside your door, whether you live in the country or even in an urban area. And the first step is in learning how to wild harvest and forage these plants is to get to know the plants. And so you can go outside with your field guide. Peterson Field Guide to Medicinal Plants is a fun one to take with you on walks. If you can find an older version, like from the 90s, where it's all um, illustrated pictures versus photographed pictures, I find it to be easier for identifying plants if you're looking at an illustration where the author, where the the artist can you know cue you into specific details that you want to be looking in the, for the plant and the lines and the illustrations make it a lot easier I think for our eyes and our brains to visualize and understand and then see that also in a real plant where the photographs, you know, usually it's just a portion of the plant that's photographed and there's background images that your brain has to kind of sift out. And I mean, sometimes it's nice to have the photos to, as well as the illustrations, but if you can find a field guide with illustrations, that's going to be ideal. And so the older Peterson's field guides have that. Um, and then even if you have to find just a wildflower field guide, to carry with you that has illustrations that can be helpful as well. And look at the plants that grow right outside your door. What's growing in your lawn? If you can leave a strip 
at the edge of your lawn that you don't mow for a whole ye- for a whole growing season and see what comes up see what plants what diversity is there and get to know it and see if any of these herbs um, are there and I bet some of them are the dandelion plantain yarrow self-heal those four plants love to grow in lawns and then the burdock and nettle and hypericum mullen yellow dock those are all larger plants and they will be more likely growing on edges or in fallow fields um, or the nettle maybe even more kind of along uh, riverbanks or you know at the edge of a farm field where there might be uh, some moist really nutrient rich soil so check it out see what grows around you If you're interested in learning more about foraging medicinal plants, check out my Patreon membership classroom. You can find it under Solidago Herb School on the Patreon website. And keep checking in on this podcast because I will definitely be sharing a lot of information about working with our common weeds And the Patreon membership classes will be focusing on seasonal foraging, gardening, and um, working with medicinal plants and making home remedies with them. Also on my Patreon page, I post detailed podcast notes, basically the notes that I go off of while I'm, you know, saying the podcast and I don't edit them. I just basically copy and paste them on there. I don't really have time to edit them, but it's there for easy reference for you. And that's open to the public. You don't have to pay to see those. And there's also links to the podcast. And to tie in with these past two podcasts, I'm also going to post a free class that I offered um, last year with a local land trust about sustainable foraging so you will you can find that on the patreon page within a day or two of this when this podcast was released and you can also find me on instagram facebook or my website and you can find me through solidago herb school at any of those places and i want to thank you for listening i really appreciate it I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.